welcome back to House Cats. I'm Nick. I'm Brendan. And each week on House Cats, of course, we're going state by state across the country looking at different congressional districts, talking to the people who live there. That's right. This is the podcast. We are crowdsourcing Congress. Love that. And this week we are... That's right, visiting the Washington-Jackson 5th District. Oh, uh, That exists on the northwest corner. Uh, the, the, nor- the northeast, in fact. Uh, the northeast corner, that's right. The northeast corner in the Pacific Northwest state of Washington. It's our fifth episode. It's the 5th District. Couldn't be better. The Jackson 5 had five members. <laughs> it's all there, people. It's all there. <laughs> And this week we are talking about a district represented by a Republican woman by the name of Kathy McMorris Rogers, a representative who has been in Congress for several years. But before we talk about her, let's talk about the people she represents. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the 5th District. All righty. So as we mentioned, the 5th District, all the way on the eastern side of the state, very, uh, very large district, goes from the border with Canada to the border with Oregon. In cat terminology. Yep. It would be like when you are holding your cat by their front paws, and so they're incredibly long. Yes, right. <laughs> very, very long district. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so, again, very rural and very white, Brendan. Overwhelmingly white. 89.7% of the uh, population reports as being white. The uh, median income, $35,000. That is below the uh, the median income on the uh, for the entire nation significantly so. yeah so Brendan let's talk about that little herb you know that little tantalizing scent that brought us to the Washington fifth okay that catnip what got us here sure the herbaceous information mm-hmm. this week was really Kathy McMorris Rogers' position of prominence within the Republican Party. She is the highest-ranking woman in either uh, chamber of Congress for the Republican Party, and she's actually been in co- you know she's been in Congress for sen- for thirteen years now since yep. two thousand and four, and obviously thirteen a very significant number in many cultures. It is the time when young Jewish boys and girls are have their bar and bat mitzvahs. True, it is, uh, but two years away from uh, young women quinceañeras. Yeah. Uh, as a, I was raised Catholic, and 13 years is about the time that you discover the full breadth of what guilt means, and uh, <laughs> the stakes uh-huh. really drive home. And so she really has a mature career as a member of the House of Representatives. And it's important to note that because even before she was a member of the United States House of Representatives, she was in the Washington State House for 10 years before that. So she really is a career legislator. Definitely. And rose to prominence uh, in this in the uh, Washington State Legislature as well, became minority leader uh, as, uh, you know, by the time she was out of there, 10 solid years working her way up. I mean, working in a state legislature, man, that is... Uh, that's that's not an easy life. No, it's not. And as we talk not about particularly remunerative, nay, does not pay that well. <laughs> not at all. And even being a member of the United States uh, House of Representatives is not particularly lucrative. Mm-hmm. And that is significant when you talk about someone who has spent their entire professional life in Congress, because as you see. Unlike some people who join the legislature later in life, she hit a lot of those milestones that most people hit in relationships while uh, in Congress. Right. In fact, so she was married after being elected to the House of Representatives for the first time and is the only woman to ever give birth to three children while serving as uh, a member of Congress. That's very impressive. Totally. And I think... Something that I connect to as a person who uh, has now explored her district, spoken to some of her constituents, and, and watched some of the material that she put out there is she does seem genuine in connecting with people who have experienced the same difficulties that come with, with raising a family. Mm-hmm. She has lived them while in Congress, and I think it has totally been reflective in her legislative action. Yeah. And especially, you know, in regards to her family, she's very open about the fact that her, I believe her first son was born with Down syndrome, uh, which, you know, is is 
a tough thing for any family to have to deal with. Um, and so she's very sensitive to that. And that affects the issues that she uh, works really hard at and has focused on in her legislative career. To that end, I say we take a little trip to the vet. Okay. Sometimes you just need a little checkup. Nothing's particularly wrong, but you know, we just got to take a little trip down there. Totally. And if you were to go ahead and uh, visit a vet in one of the cities in the Washington 5th, say Mm -hmm. Walla Walla, Washington, uh, you would find that uh, Representative McMorris Rogers' voting record pertains primarily to the issue of health care. Overwhelmingly. Yeah, about 65 odd percent of the bills that she sponsors or co-sponsors relate to that area and nothing else even comes close. And that is significant as we just described her, her familial background. And similarly so, uh, uh, a tenant of her platform since being first elected from Congress has been her support of veterans and veterans' families. And as we said, she was mem- she got married while in office, and she did marry um, a former official of the United States military. Right, right. Um, there's also the issue uh, in the healthcare space that uh, there are lots of Uh, health IT jobs. There's lots of health companies that are being built in the state of Washington and moving out of Seattle uh, into the eastern part of the state. So the healthcare industry is also a job creator in her home state. So for many different reasons, she's very interested in the issue of healthcare. But this gets to a point of tension as she is a Republican, a very high-ranking Republican. Uh, I we didn't get super specific about it before. She is the uh, chair of the Republican conference in the House, uh, which means that she's sort of in charge of messaging more than anything else, um, but also very influential in terms of dealing with the party leadership. Healthcare has been a prominent issue that Republican candidates have run on. And while Republicans have had the majority in the Congress, the, in, the, in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, they've focused a lot on the issue of health care, particularly the Affordable Care Act, what to do about it. They have ideological disputes with it. Uh, repeal it, repeal, replace. We've all heard about that kind of stuff. And Kathy McMorris Rogers uh, definitely has some opinions on the Affordable Care Act, Brendan. And those are? Overwhelmingly negative, yeah, not I would a fan. say. Not a fan of the ACA. The ACA, of course, you know, uh, was a major overhaul of the American healthcare system, sort of a reimagining of the American healthcare system, and she took issue with it. But unlike a lot of other Republicans, I think she's she has worked really tirelessly to find other solutions that she sees as more conservative. Such as such as a bill that she sponsored in 2011 called the Pharmacy Competition and Consumer Choice Act. Now, if this if this were enacted, Brendan, you know, just judging by the title alone, the name of the bill, yeah, the Pharmacy Competition, yeah. If you had to pick a champion in the yeah. pharmacy competition, yeah, who are you going for? Walgreens. Really? Yep. Not <laughs> no hesitation. Nope. <laughs> what what makes Walgreens? So is know? that I mean, I, was the purpose of this law that we would all select one one pharmacy and Correct. then we would then promote them? Uh yeah, exactly. Statutorily. We, <laughs> right. Right. Um you know, I'm just a Walgreens fan. I think it's kind of in between every other across between a CBS and a Bed Bath and Beyond, I guess, just the beyond part. It's just beyond a Bed Bath & Beyond. It's yes, even better. It's, well, I guess maybe a Beyond CVS <laughs> is how I like to think of a Walgreens. Wow. So you've picked your challenger. And yours? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to go with CVS, in fact, actually. Uh, they're they're quite dominant. They're always expanding. They just bought a healthcare company, for crying out loud. They're on the up and up. Obviously tough to make that argument after I just described Walgreens as... Yeah, True. CVS Beyond. Listen, we all have our champions in this fight. Uh, TBD on how that... And yours is one level, and mine (laughs) is just the level that is beyond your champion. (laughs) But I do think it's also worth noting, you know, there is a a bill that has recently passed the United States House of Representatives that is before the Senate that was aimed at limiting the power of individuals to sue corporations uh, under the ADA or the American with Disabilities Act. 
Uh, it essentially said that people, in order to file complaints with courts for people who are non-complying with certain aspects uh, of the act that's designed to make the world just more accessible for people with different disabilities, uh, this bill that passed uh, is going to make it more difficult to people for individuals to sue uh, without notifying the company first. Essentially, it's going to be a more protracted process. And Kathy McMorris Rogers actually voted against that bill, which was largely supported by, by Republicans. Republicans. Yeah, right. And that's that's pretty surprising. Again, she's so high ranking in the party, but she sticks to her guns on some on some tough votes. Totally. We always like to see that. But there are some things that we've uncovered that uh, you don't like to see. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a new segment for us, you know, and we hate to go there. No cats ever like to go there. But sometimes you have to hit behind the slammer and visit the kennel. Visit the kennel. In 2014, Representative McMorris Rogers was subject to an ethics investigation regarding mm -hmm. her use of uh, campaign funds. It, a complaint was filed by one of her former staffers that campaign um, funds were being redistributed to other candidacies of hers because although she ran for um, her seat in Congress, as she also has to run for her position in the party, which is elected, and so there was some accusations made regarding the distribution of those funds as well as the distribution of campaign staffers' time um, that it was alleged that her staff members in Congress were being used to do campaign work on their congressional time. There was also an aspect of this that uh, she used taxpayer funding to fly her and her staff around uh, while she was campaigning. So there's all kinds of money going in all kinds of different directions here, was the allegation. And it is important to note that while these things are technical, and, and, you know, so it can be easy to dismiss the significance of hearing about someone uh, you know, on a plane ride working on a speech that's going to be done for this person on their campaign who's also their boss in the House of Representatives and the lines can get blurred. But they're there for a reason. You know, it really does matter when we're talking about the sanctity of the taxpayer's money and the and the promise you're making to people. There is a reason that we have these laws in place so that what we are donating to be used as government money is not being used just for the purposes of, of campaigning. I mean... There's not many other ways to say it, but it's worth noting because it really does matter. And the result of that investigation was that they ruled that maybe further investigation was needed, but they were not going to take action at that time. Right. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, no other meaningful investigation ever happened. This was four years ago, and I've never heard of the issue coming up since. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's been much follow-up. So that was our little trip to the kennel. Uh, that was an unfortunate, you know, I'm sorry we had to go there with Representative McMorris Rogers. But, but on our walk back, we might face just that thing you hate to see in the real world and love to hear on our podcast, a quick cat call and response. Right. Again, really, we do not endorse the practice of cat calling. Cannot overstate uh, this. Unfortunate name. We wish that this segment was not named this, but some of these things are out of our control. Please call it dog calling. Or something, you know? It's Actually, a terrible practice. See, here's the thing. We are already trying to make a change in so many areas that I think it is not unreasonable to ask everyone in the real world to start calling it dog calling yep. so that on this podcast we can continue to call it cat calling and not feel weird about it. All right. You heard it here first. Uh, if you're a loyal listener, you know, start making that change out there. We're just two nerds in a room, but... I think we can change the way the, the world works, right? Yes. If we get two friends and they get two friends That's pretty right. soon, we've got Frindle on our hands. <laughs> so the catcalling and response uh, segment here, though, much more interesting, much more positive. Of course, that segment where we visit the representative's Facebook page and see how people are interacting uh, and how that represents their communication with their constituents. In this case, her Facebook page is actually pretty tepid. People seem to be pretty respectful of, of other people, and of course, on any representative's Facebook page, there is a mix of constituents and non-constituents. Uh, Especially because she's so prominent, a lot of other people from across the country know her name and get involved. And uh, as seems natural, women tend to be more 
uh, a target of harassment and vitriol online just by virtue of their gender. So she, as a woman in the Republican Party, would seem particularly ripe a target for any sort of online harassment. And I would say that her uh, Facebook page is either well moderated or it's just not happening because it seems to be fairly toned down in comparison to some of the other pages we've seen. Definitely, definitely. Another aspect that we look for when we do this is to see uh, whether or not the representative or her staff is getting involved talking to people. And to th- in that way, it's not happening. Right, we it- can't see any meaningful uh, interaction there between the staff. And- it seems they post the articles uh, about her actions, which is uh, a pretty commonplace practice among uh, congressional Facebook pages, uh, but it doesn't seem like they follow up or engage with the constituents. And that, of course, is the choice of the representatives. Um, it does seem like there are some constituents who use the Facebook page for conversation and for information. Um, and it does seem like there are people who, who just use it to view those articles. So it, it is achieving some purpose. Totally. So our first interview this week is with Shannon, who is a PhD student as well as the Director of Legislative Affairs in Student Government at Washington State University in Spokane. Washington State University in Spokane, and I'm getting a PhD in pharmaceutical sciences, and I'm also the director of legislative affairs for our student body government. Wow, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> you got a lot going on out there. Yeah, not busy at all. It's all fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess my first question is, uh, you know, talk to us about Spokane. I- I've never been to Spokane uh, in my life, Brendan. I don't believe you have. Nay. Yeah. So just give us a sense of what life is like in Spokane, Washington. Well, Spokane's a, well, I consider it a small, I consider it a small town, but I moved up here 11 years ago from Los Angeles. So, so everywhere is a small seems, town for you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, um, we're a small town, um, almost on the border between Idaho and Washington. So nowhere near Seattle. Um, we get snow in the wintertime, hot, in, it gets hot up in the upper 90s, low 100 degrees in the summer, and it's a fantastic town for raising children, So, which is how I ended up here in the first place. And what was it like making the transition from singing I Love L.A. after Dodgers games to I Love Spokane after Mariners games up there in Seattle? <laughs> coming up here because everyone told me that I was moving to a extremely Caucasian, um, not diverse and very conservative area. Um, I ended up moving into a neighborhood that has more diversity than the rest of the city, but Spokane is still, I think, over 80% Caucasian. Um, which was the biggest culture shock for me, just to have no more diversity around, which it's kind of the same thing with the political arena, because in Southern California, you can find a lot of political extremes everywhere, from extremely right to extremely left and everything in between. And in Washington, it seems to be the, um, the liberals are a little closer to the center and not so extreme and same thing with the conservatives here. So the diversity of both political beliefs and the racial diversity in the area were interesting. It it was an interesting thing to leave and come to a location that just had less diversity overall. And so you, t- you kind of talked about the political leanings, the ideologies being different between L.A. and, and this part of Washington where you moved from. Is, is the like relationship to politics and government just sort of in general, regardless of party affiliation or the way that people talk about government? Have you noticed that um, being different? college shortly after I moved here, so I'm in a completely different environment than the work environment I was in in California. So that could just be an environmental perspective change for me. But 
people seem to pay more attention in Washington to local politics um, and what our local representatives are doing rather than what the entire country as a whole is doing. But I think that also probably plays a little bit into the fact that California, because there's so many representatives from California and that state has such a large GDP and it's so big that they have more of a role in federal politics than the state of Washington. Totally. Shannon, can you speak to some of those issues that uh, are driving the local conversation? Yeah, I know um, a lot of the local conversation here, especially recently, um, the tax plan was a huge (laughs) local issue. Um, And a lot of that has to do with the really cool differences that we have in and around Spokane because we have a lot of farmers here. And so we have a lot of agriculture. We also have a lot of wind farms out here. And um, then we have some steel foundries and manufacturing of that kind um, in this area as well. So along with um, a large student population, so it makes for a really interesting mix of things in the um, recent tax plan, especially the version that the House was voting on, um, that got a lot of people riled up and paying attention. Yeah, so a lot, a, sort of inspired by what you just said, you know, I noticed, um, uh, you know, when on Facebook when I was looking for people to talk to for this episode, I think I got more responses and quicker responses. Uh, through uh, Representative uh, McMorris Rogers' uh, Facebook page than I have with any other district we've ever done, and which is cra- which was really surprising to me because, you know, when I think of political Washington State, I think of Seattle. I don't think of um, Eastern Washington as being so um, kind of fired up. And do you think oh, yeah. that that has more to do with like what's in the water sort of inherently, or do you think that's because of recent issues like the tax plan? Um, I think it's a little bit of both because when you when you have facilities in um, an area like Spokane where you have a large population of people that are running um, small farms, I mean, not any of the huge farming operations that are in the Midwest, but when you have small farms and people that are, and students, a large student population too, it's just anyone that's living really close to things that, um, like their income level is really close to their cost of living, which means that small changes in both our city, our state, and our federal government can make it or break it for a lot of people in this area. And I think we just have a higher concentration of people who are on that line and walking that line. Great. So uh, I think it's probably a, a natural transition here to start talking about um, your representative uh, more specifically. So you've lived uh, in the Washington 5th for 11 years. Is that what you what you said earlier? Yeah, pretty close to 11 years. Got it. And uh, so she's been your representative the entire time, I believe. Is that true? Yeah. And, uh, you know, how would you how would you describe your experience of of uh, having Kathy as as your representative? You know, I find her remarkably unapproachable. Hmm. And by that, I mean, Spokane, the city of Spokane, because the fifth is so large, it goes from Canada to Oregon all the way down eastern Washington. And so it's a, it's, an, it's a large mass of land and extremely different perspectives that you get from a lot of the small rural towns versus Spokane. And so when she comes here, she seems to only meet with people that have the same political ideology and ideals and priorities that she does. Instead of talking to and meeting with the general population in the city of Spokane to see where she might be missing people and what and how she could better explain her positions to people who don't necessarily agree with what her positions are. I know me personally, I've requested numerous meetings with her and have never heard anything back from her office. Um, at school, we, I um, 
planned and executed a rally against the educational provisions that were in the tax bill that um, Kathy voted for in the House. And we had um, a little over 40 statements from students on our campus that only has 240 graduate students um, on it. And I delivered those to her office, and we never got a response. And then as the Director of Legislative Affairs, I have been requesting meetings with her for her to come meet with a core group of students that are representative from all the programs that we have. I've never heard anything back from her office about that. Um, and I've called and put in um, electronic requests for meetings. So I've, I've found her exceptionally hard to get a hold of. And if I do get email responses from her, they're form letters. So in attempting to reach out to her and receiving kind of nothing back, how was her vote in favor of this tax bill received among your, the groups that you're working in? It was, it was received exceptionally poorly. I mean, that tax bill, they wanted to tax, um, she voted for taxing tuition waivers as income. So the graduate students that are making $20,000 a year with an $18,000 tuition waiver would then be taxed on far more than the income that they're actually bringing in. And it was also, um, she does all of these things where she's trying to fight to keep our um, Spokane Teaching Health Clinic open because we just opened a um, medical school for our WSU Spokane campus. And she's trying to keep the teaching health clinic open. So she's been fighting for all this legislation for it. But then in turn, she voted for a tax bill that would make it so that med students, while they're doing their residencies after they graduate from med school, could not claim their interest on their $200,000 of student loans as a tax deduction. And so it's like... At the same time that she was trying to make it easier for the medical school as a business to stay open, she was making it harder for students to make the decision to become medical students. And so it seemed to be this weird dichotomy of issues. And on campus, it was extremely poorly received. I mean, a lot of the things that were in there about education did not, none of them ended up in the final version of the bill. But she voted for it twice in the House when those provisions were still in there. So I guess outside of taxing, it certainly seems like the area that she touts her most legislative successes in is health care. Um, you know, a lot of the, the bills she sponsors uh, and that have been enacted have been in that area. How do you feel she's doing uh, in that area as a constituent? Um, I do appreciate her support for CHIP, the um, Childhood Insurance Program. Um, I know that my kid's been covered by that since we moved here, um, and my child was six years old when we moved here and is now a junior in high school, but until the Affordable Care Act, I wasn't covered by the low-income insurance in Washington. So, and when the Affordable Care Act was enacted, we have, um, I think it's somewhere between 50 and 60,000 jobs last time I talked to um, our local senator for the state. Um, that are supported by the uh, Affordable Care Act in just the 5th District here. So it's interesting that she's so against the Affordable Care Act when so many of her constituents are employed by it. Yeah, what are you looking for out of your representative that you're not getting right now? It seems like certainly communication seems to be one area. Um, communication, and I really think just a support for education in the 5th District alone, we have um, two private universities, um, and we have two locations of Washington State University, um, our largest campus down in Pullman, Washington, and the Spokane campus. We have, like, I think about 40,000 students, and um, with maybe 5,000 of those being graduate and professional students, and she doesn't seem to have any interest in what would help education in this area. So looking forward to this uh, November, Kathy is up for re-election as she is every other year. Um, are you aware of anybody kind of coming out of the woodwork to, to put any pressure on her or challenge her at the, at the polls?
one of the ones that are listed as a competitive district for um, the race that's upcoming. And I think it's because the um, Democratic challenger to Kathy McMorris Rogers is um, Lisa Brown. And she was the former chancellor of Washington State University in Spokane. So I know Lisa Brown because I've, I was a student on her campus where she was a chancellor for a couple of years. Um, but Lisa Brown was also in our state government for a number of years. But that was prior to me moving to Washington. So I didn't know her as a constituent representing the state. But she did a lot of great work for um, equal rights in the state of Washington. And a lot of people seem to really like her and being res- and responding to her very well. Well, that's awesome that regardless, it seems that your lack of communication currently hasn't dampened your energy to get involved and, and stay, oh. you know, stay, stay involved in this. Oh, no, I, I stay involved. I always have been involved in politics and the political arena ever since I was in youth and government through the YMCA in California. <laughs> So one thing that I took away from our interview with Shannon was this interesting um, kind of cultural and political shift that she became aware of as soon as she moved uh, from Los Angeles to Spokane, that the the people of Eastern Washington are actually pretty politically aware, but they're focused more on the issues that matter to them in their local communities, in their day-to-day lives because they have less of an impact on the national conversation and the national political direction than the citizens of California, which makes sense to me. But sort of dovetailing with that, they may be very interested, very concerned with the way politics affect their day-to-day lives, but in terms of uh, Representative McMorris Rogers, at least the citizens of Spokane, and especially young people, do not feel listened to or represented at all. So the way that they're being represented seems to be sort of at odds with the way that uh, is sort of in the water in eastern Washington and in the Spokane area, that people are really politically concerned. But unfortunately, they're not getting the attention they they, uh, so richly deserve on the campus of Washington State University. So it was really fun to sort of hear about what's coming down the pike for uh, Representative McMorris Rogers, that she actually may have a pretty uh, substantial challenge in the fall this year and I for one am really interested to sort of watch that race see what happens see if Representative Morris Rogers becomes a little bit more connected to her constituents in Spokane as she's sort of uh, feeling the the heat of a potential loss at the polls in November who we got coming up Nick Well, next, Brendan, we have our interview with Mike, who lives in Clarkston, Washington, right on the border between Washington and Idaho. Let's hit it. Okay, uh, my name's Mike Mike Deep. Uh, I live in Clarkston, Washington, a constituent of Kathy McMorris Rogers. Uh, Professionally, I work at a hospital. Uh, I'm not a professional. I just work a service job at a hospital here. Um, the jobs are a problem in the area, but uh, other than that, uh, I'm a musician by by a you know preferred trade, not not a actual trade. <laughs> so you know, not, not former military or anything. I should do it. Got it. Um, so tell us about uh, about the town where you live. Tell us about Clarkston. Clarkston is uh, well, it's right. It's three miles from the, where I live. It's three miles. It's, it's on the border of Idaho with Idaho. So it's eastern Washington, and I've lived here since 2009-ish. And what to say about it, it's kind of economically depressed. Um, you got Idaho on the one side, and you got, the river separates the two towns. You got Lewis and Idaho, and on, on the Clarkson side in Washington, it's kind of smaller economically uh, versus Idaho where it's, where it's uh, more, more populated, more businesses. It's kind of like a... You know, the de- demarcation line between North and South Korea, I guess you could explain it. There's more lights over there than there's here. And, Michael, where were you uh, living before you moved to Clarkston? I, I li- actually lived in Idaho, Kamei, Idaho, a small logging town. I, I had a job at a, at a sawmill that, you know, I lost in 2008, like a lot of people. And before that, I'm originally from San Diego, California area. 
Sure. And can you uh, talk to us a little bit about the differences between living in somewhere like San Diego and then moving up to these uh, kind of smaller population towns? Uh, culture shock, you know. It was uh, very different. I was, I was tired of the big city life, though. So, I mean, it wasn't like I was a, a prisoner. But uh, moving out there and then realizing how important work is, because in California, you can get a job you can, there's always at least somewhere to, to look you, you know you might not find a job in five months because of competition stuff but moving out to a small town and then <clears throat> sitting around for six months I, I got really depressed it's like wow I, I kind of realized that our, our freedoms don't really matter if there's no economic uh, support for, for your life you know you might as well off yourself luckily though I, I applied for the, the sawmill and, and got a job in about six months Michael, do you think that um, job availability really affects the um, environment? You kind of you know, talked about how it certainly affected you personally. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's, it's extremely important if, if if you can't you know if you can't work and, and pay for your bills. It's it's horrible. And most you know I guess I don't, I don't want to say most people because a, a lot of people have experienced that since two thousand eight, but. Before that time, I, I had never experienced it, and I didn't really comprehend how important it was. So are there uh, particular issues uh, you know, that, that you care about or that the people in your community or that you know care about um, that affect you in your day-to-day life? I'd say absolutely, yeah. Um, you, you have the, the leftists that, that you know, they care about their issues. They're, they're not really my issues, but... They feel strongly about them. I, I think that they're wrong a lot of times, but certainly they care about them. And then there's there's people, uh, you know, there's people on the right, the Republicans, that care about their issues. And I'm, I'm somewhere in between these two groups, and, uh, and I think they're they're all in, ill-informed. Well, Michael, what issues are matter most to you, someone in the middle? Uh, well, the government adhering to the Constitution, that that's one. Um, I, I do, I do, uh, I'm a, like the gun rights activists, I'm, I'm with the NRA, I'm with gun owners, gun owners of America, I'm with the Jews for the preservation of firearms ownership, and so that's one of the big issues, jobs is a big issue, uh, security for America is a big issue, but at the same time, um, when I say security for America, I don't mean the, the Republican neocon way of thinking about it, you know. So what do you mean? Um... Well, like, you know, they want to build a wall. There's no need for a wall. If, if you want if you want to, you can just take down the, the paper trail wall that, that makes people want to come here. Um, I think the people should come here easily for, for, for day work like they used to, and, and they can make a, a permit process for that. All they, you know, I like to say a lot of times, they can write the law any way they want to. So when we have these problems, it's usually because they're, they're creating them on purpose. Michael, I want to talk a little bit now about your representation. Obviously, some of the issues you've identified are very national. You're talking about the the federal government adhering to the Constitution. You talk about national security. How does your representative, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, kind of fit into your perspective on those issues? Well, she's not doing a good job when it comes to national, the whole the whole national, to me, the whole national security thing uh, is is contingent upon. Um, I don't want to say fighting terrorism, but sorry about that. Like the cat interrupted me. Um, the the war on terror is fake, and so any politician that is no towing to it or following the president on that is not. She's either misinformed, duped, or or she's part of a plot. And so as someone who's obviously more concerned with the security as it relates to our country and not the wars fought somewhere else, do you try and voice this opinion to her or her staff? I, I have. You know, I told, I, I, I've, written, I've written, you know, I've gone to her website and, and written to say basically, hey, let's stop bombing Syria. This isn't what we voted for because Trump said he was going to stop that kind of stuff and then he's still doing it and then she's right along with him to you know support him in that so you you mentioned that you have reached out to uh representative mcmorris rogers um and you've been disappointed in where she stands on the issues and her actions on the issues but can you talk about just the nature of those interactions that you've had 
Uh, pretty much just you know, one-way communications. I don't really hear much back. Yeah, the, these politicians at that level, they're so big, they, I mean, you can't get a meeting with them, right? I mean, just, I, I did get a, I, I read a state representative a couple weeks ago about, uh, you know, um, local voting for, uh, we, we voted for a school levy, which was defeated, and two months later they got it back on the ballot, and I complained that, hey, you know, when we defeat something, we don't want to see it in our face again for, uh, you know, a year or two at the least, and, and this person wrote me back personally, but. Of course, of course, it stands to reason that somebody on her level, federal representative, is not going to, you know, be able to talk to you personally. I understand that. Everybody should, you know, even 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 these leftists that are screaming for the town hall meetings, they should understand that um, she doesn't have time to show up at a town hall meeting that they want to hold just so that they can be raider and disrupted and, and get the media cameras to show it on film. That's that's why they're trying to do it. As someone who you identify your viewpoint as being out a little bit more outside the mainstream, is there a way that a representative who is from one of these more mainstream political viewpoints can make you feel represented and heard, even if you know that they're not going to side with you all the time? Oh, if you're asking if I have agreements with her, sure. I mean, sometimes like she does, she does as good as any leftist politician, you know. That, the leftists are always screaming at her, but you know, if if, if, she, if she was a, if she was a Democrat doing the exact same thing she is right now, they, they wouldn't have a problem with her. Um, I, I have found help with her office through uh, problems with the IRS, so she, she her, her staff will help you if, if you have an issue like that. Can you I say? Don't think can, she's a horrible, I can, don't think she's a horrible congresswoman. Uh huh. Can you say more at all about about that interaction you had with you know vis-a-vis the IRS? Uh, I mean, I could I could go on a rant for an hour about the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> the, IRS the IRS needs to be reformed. Um, I think I've mentioned that to her too before because that's my experience with them. Basically, I, I don't know if you ever had any problems with the IRS, but if you do, you, you think you might be able to just simply pick up a phone, call them, and get it straightened out. It's not how it works. Nobody will take your call. And if they do, they don't know what they're, they're doing or talking about. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to your kind of experience um, with with your uh, relationship both to your government, but also just how you are expressing yourself and and making your voice heard. So I know that you know you you communicate with uh, Representative Morris Rogers, um, but it's you said it's sort of a one sided conversation. Are there other uh, methods, you know, even just with people that you know in your day-to-day life or other, you know, resources on the Internet that you, uh, you know, kind of uh, talk about issues or, or try to make your voice heard? Um, with my reps? With your reps or just, uh, you know, having the conversations that you care about and, and uh, you know, kind of trying to promote some ideas? I, I think, I think the... Uh the main platform for that is the, the, the best place. To, I guess you could say where where the action or where the war is at currently seems to be on Facebook. Used to be on used to be on AOL chat rooms or AOL groups. Uh, there was news groups, and now it seems to be like mostly Facebook. And you know, can you describe the nature of like the engagement that you have on Facebook, even just with other people rather than the representative herself? being facetious here when I say I just tell everybody where they're wrong, <laughs> you know? Sure. <laughs> the internet warrior. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I find a lot of that right on Kathy McMorris' page. There's there's so many people that, you know, like, I, I hear them attacking her for the, the town halls, and I know why they're doing it, and I, and I call them out on it, that kind of thing. As a you know, I, I, don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to like Donald Trump, because I don't. I don't have to like him to defend him when somebody's wrong about him. See? As someone who does who does see the interaction on Facebook, do you think any of it's productive? I, th- I think so because, well, I mean, in my case, in my case, um, I, I found that whether they're a bully or just ignorant, uh, some people will come on strong and you stand up to them. All you got to do is stand up to them. Make it clear that you're not going to be pushed around that you're not going to change your view because they say so, and you just you just stand up to them. They they 
all of a sudden they don't want to talk to you anymore. It's kind of funny like that. So I figure that maybe I got through them and they just don't want to admit it. I don't know. I, I will say, you know, we have had experience with uh, Congress, with congressional districts where the Congress people are responsive. You know, we have a... Uh, we actually just spoke to someone recently, a, a young, a young, you know, high school student who actually now has a personal relationship with the congressperson because they reached out. So that's why, you know, we do see different levels of engagement across the country. Right. I'm, I'm sure if somebody sent an extraordinary letter, that uh, the staffer, a staffer may forward it. See, the, the staffers are who handle all this. So if it doesn't get past the staffer, then it doesn't get get to the, the congressperson. So maybe that maybe the, the first point of contact with the person you're talking about was some extraordinary issue, or this sounded like a, a, a media, a good media um, publicity thing to to jump on. I, I don't know, but I mean that that's probably your reason, something along those lines. What did you take away from that interview? I mean, I thought the most sort of surprising thing was his answer about not really being even disappointed by Representative McMorris Rogers because the bar is pretty low. You know, he doesn't expect her to be super responsive. He kind of expects it to be a one way street. And, you know, that it's surprising and it's sort of disheartening because that's that's like a learned expectation you know that is not an inherent expectation that any of us should have or do have about our government that's just the product of being disappointed over and over again um and i mean that really caught me off guard because that's not something we typically hear from people yeah one caveat i mean he did just say that in regards to communication not necessarily yeah 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 right right right. Uh, but i i totally agree with you you know the fact that he has been shown by these people that it is difficult to have that level of responsiveness to the point where he now doesn't expect that from his congressperson is disheartening in the the face of hearing from other constituents in other congressional districts who have closer personal relationships with their congresspeople and who are making that effort to listen. It's not a partisan thing. It has nothing to do with system of beliefs unless for whatever reason a representative actually representing their people is somehow become partisan, in which case we might need to go back to the drawing board on this whole American experiment thing. (laughs) Right. I mean, we've heard in other episodes, you know, from people who have been particularly dogged and trying to seek their their, uh, representative out and have had success, but there have also been other representatives who have made it a priority. And, and it's not clear to me that Representative McMorris Rogers, in the interviews that we've had on this episode, uh, has made it a priority. Yeah, I think in this investigation, as much as we are answering questions, sometimes we're coming up with other ones. And I think the one that I'm kind of at right now is if you're a congressperson and you're not trying to hear from your constituents, you're not making an effort. My question is why? You know, what else? Right. What are you doing? What, you know, what is, is there some ideological something, a fair argument that that shouldn't be part of your job in representing people because I haven't heard anything compelling yet? So our next interview was with a retired teacher who lives in Spokane. I taught, um, was in, uh, I taught in a very small rural district for the majority of the time. I taught in private schools for about five years, and then I taught very small rural town, small district. And um, mostly I did junior high and high school, and the bulk of it was special ed. Oh, very good. I taught, I taught there for about 20 years, and I think maybe, yeah, I think the last 15 or something were special ed related. Can you and talk, can you speak a little bit in your experience, maybe the what it's like to have taught for so long in the same area, and any changes you saw in maybe the support for schooling and education? Um, I don't know about, well, changes somewhat. Yeah, changes. There were a lot of changes. When I when I moved there, first of all, it, it is a little, it's a low school in the middle of Wheatfield. It's, it serves five smaller towns. Wow. And these are very small towns. And all the kids are bused. And um, a lot of families have been there for years and years. And, you know, you've got, it's not unusual to have kids that their grandparents went to school there. And the teachers, a lot of the teachers have gone to school there. In fact, the last principal that was there had gone to school there and had done his student teaching there and 
So he was returning there, you know, and his parents had taught there. Anyway, so it, it really went from, also when I first went there, it had a lot of money from special ed, you know, special ed money. So ADA had, I think the ADA was in fact, then I'm not sure, but they had just poured tons of money into the school. And so the school grew and um, we had a lot of aids and stuff like that. And as we went along, the um, the money went away for whatever, some of the, the grants went away and um, we had a small, much smaller staff after a while. Not of teachers so much, but um, parapros and aides. And the school district um, diminished. It decreased for a while because people were moving away and they wanted to go to Spokane, which is like 20 miles, uh, 18, 18 miles north of there. Um, and um, in time, a lot of those people started coming back. And right, right now when I was ending, a lot of the families were coming back. And I was beginning to see children of the students that I had taught. What are the issues that are most important to people living in Spokane right now? Oh, um, health care. We, um, we have an Air Force base here, and we have a lot of retired Air Force people that live here, a lot of retired veterans. And health care is very important to them. Plus, we have a ton of families who are coming up, and we have, you know, just the health care is very important to them. I know health care has obviously been something that's really driven the conversation nationally, but you mentioned uh-huh. that you have a lot of veterans in your area, you have a lot of families in your area. Does the healthcare conversation center about around those more specific people? You know, do you hear about talking about ways to get healthcare specifically for veterans and healthcare specifically for families? Yeah, I hear a lot about healthcare for veterans. I, I mean, I can't tell you exactly what they're asking for, you know, but other than healthcare, but the veterans are uh, pretty vocal. So, given that there are some kind of specific uh, needs, especially in the healthcare sector, you know, you're talking about veterans, you're talking about rural hospitals and and health centers. Let's let's move to talking a little bit about your representative, Kathy McMorris Rogers. Would you say that, in your experience, she is receptive and aware of those specific needs that you and uh, the people around you have, especially in regards to healthcare? To a certain degree, I think she is. She is very aware of needs of, of um, the needs of the handicapped, dis- dis- disabled people. Her son has um, Down syndrome, and so she supports that completely. In fact, she is um, on this last bill that they passed, or in the, in the House, about the dismantling the um, the ADA Americans with Disability Act. She voted against it. That is the first time I have ever heard of her breaking ranks with the Republicans. And I would give her kudos for that, but I know it's, I, I strongly feel she's doing it just because finally something hit home to her. She's, um, she is married to a veteran, and I assume, and they have money, and so she has ample ways to take care of her child, but not everyone does. Um, she is quite proud of this one act or bill that she sponsored. She didn't, I mean, she sponsored, I just read today, that just means they agree with it. <laughs> I always thought it meant they brought it up, but they don't, or, you know, introduced it. Um, that said people now can create savings account to be put and not taxed or something like that for their handicapped children so that when the kids grow up, they have money. Um, it's all well and good. However, most of the people... Um, or a large amount of the people don't have the money to do these health, you know, these um, savings accounts. So it's kind of a moot point, you know. They, the, parent, the people can't take advantage of that. She's also passed um, or been sponsored a bill that says people with ALS have the right to uh, speech devices, which is coming from the um, Steve Gleason um, bill. Steve, you know, you know, Steve Gleason. The, um, uh, remember the ALL challenge when they dumped ice over people? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. okay. He's from Spokane. He's a Spokane boy. He's a wonderful kid. Um, he He's from here, and so there's a whole push for, you know, the support, the, the Glee, Team Gleason and things like this. And so she supports that, but it's pretty, it's not too um, controversial or anything. It's kind of like a, well, duh, of course that should be a bill. I am curious, you know, obviously you recognize you live in a place that has 
both Republicans and Democrats. Is there something that Kathy McMorris Rogers could do as a Republican that would still make you feel included or heard, do you think? Yeah, she could come and talk to us. I, I would really like to, to, to talk to her to say, you know, this is what I feel. Why do you feel this way? Or how can you throw your support behind a, a man that is so morally deficient or crazy? You know, I mean, um, how can you cut, you know, or my other thought, well, the tax cut, the tax bill. I would say, how on earth can you defend that, you know? giving the, you know, the, the upper 1%, all this, you know, favoritism. How can you, I would like to know her reasoning behind it. And when she tries to explain sometimes her reasoning, it's just, it's gobbledygook. It doesn't make sense. It's kind of like when you were in school and you had to answer an essay question and you had no idea how to answer it. So you kind of repeated the question over and over in different ways, you know? or reiterated it as a statement. I might know what that's, you're speaking of, yes. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I mean, I, that's kind of what her answers are to me. So, Brendan, what did you take from that interview? I think one thing that was really interesting was this idea of political versus non-political action. Um, she talked about not being particularly political herself, although she was involved with some groups who do political action. Uh, and the more she talked, the more she kind of realized and decided that a lot of her action was political action. And I just think that's a really interesting distinction. You know, we have people in this country who, for whatever reason, don't want to be seen as overtly political, and we have people who do. Um, and sometimes that label doesn't matter as much for what people are actually doing, but that label is very important to the people doing the action. And I just think the vocabulary with which we talk about politics in this country matters and how people choose to identify matters, whether or not that always matches what someone might describe based on their actions. Yeah, right. And that like ties into this theme that we're always hitting in this podcast about how somebody uh, represents themselves online or or in this case, her like self-identity activist sounds like too strong a word, but she, in fact, she is active in trying to connect with her representative and uh, trying to develop a relationship to her government. She knows what she cares about. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like moving beyond the labels to actually hear about her experience and uh, and, you know, her her personal individual relationship to her government was really illuminating. And I think that's reflected too in the actual political conversation. You know, she talked about the issue of healthcare at large and then when we delved into it a little bit, the healthcare issue that really matters to our community is healthcare for specific groups of people and right. those needs aren't the same needs as every other person around the country. Totally. Well, you have made it to the end of another episode of House Cats, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. And of course, you know, before we send you out every week, we like to take a little trip to that special place to scratch those itches, soothe those little those little uh, urges that you might have. You know, just take take a little luxurious spot to the scratching post. Welcome to it. You're in for a treat this week. So this week, as you no, as a person in this planet who yep. uses the Gregorian calendar, uh, was Valentine's Day. And the Well, it wasn't this week. It was a few weeks back. We can be honest about that. Sure. It is no longer uh, February 14th. It was somewhat recently. But should you be listening to this episode um, in the week leading up to or just ending you know, prior uh, to Valentine's Day or yep. just after in 2019, yep. um, this still applies. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Quorum, a data analysis company that analyzes congressional data about voting records, uh, representation, etc., did a fun thing this year where they analyzed which members of Congress co-sponsor bills written by other members of Congress the most, and they wrote valentines to those members to give to the person that they work with the most in Congress across the aisle. Right. A very fun activity. Uh, so we thought we would just take a look uh, to see where Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers lies, who her valentine uh, is. And 
Brendan, her Valentine in the U.S. House is a representative uh, from the state of Washington as well. His name is Derek Kilmer. He represents the Washington 6th, which is in the northwest corner uh, and I believe contains the city of Tacoma as well as some other cities and uh, the beautiful, the beautiful uh, Olympic Peninsula of the state of Washington. So they reach across the aisle often. They work together uh, quite successfully, it seems. They have co-sponsored 43 bills and resolutions this Congress, and they usually vote together about 26% of the, of, of the time. Which is um, significant for people who are, again, uh, in opposite parties. Right. And it is nice to see people getting Valentines from people who represent their state. Uh, it tends to mean that they are working on issues that affect either their constituents or people in their state at large. So very positive to see Kathy McMorris Rogers working with a Democrat the most from Washington. You know, one thing about Valentine's Day that always kind of stressed me out as a kid, maybe you shared this, as uh, in school, you know, some kids in the class would get more Valentines than others. Sometimes they're the more popular kids. I won't speak for you, but I usually was not... Uh, the recipient of the majority of the Valentines. You know, sometimes I felt like I was getting the bare minimum, perhaps. Now, with that in mind, Kathy McMorris Rogers, she has but one Valentine. Correct. Um, which, it, obviously, that's okay. That's about where I came in. So, Kathy, you and one I have an understanding. Valentine? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they, one out of... They were giving of, them out to the whole class. One out of 438. That's pretty bad. I never had a class of a... 438 are you people. describing a scenario in the second grade wherein yep. your classmates would go around and give the little foil valentines to everyone but you would no i got you? one you got one right except for one person right did they did they get together and choose which one person would give you that one or do you think they were just like uh, let it happen randomly yeah they probably had a quorum about it so anyway um <laughs> There are, suffice it to say, there are a few more popular kids uh, in the Congress, Brendan. The most popular uh, that we could find in the in the House. We don't yes. even look at the other chamber. I don't care what happens over what there. What chamber? I don't know. In the House, the most popular kid in the class may well be Representative Colin Peterson of my home state of Minnesota, the 7th District. He has 89 Valentines. Wow. This guy... He is he is the coolest kid in the class, man. It's amazing. Colin co-sponsors a bill or two. <laughs> it seems like seems like he is pretty active and has a lot of friends. So if you need a bill co-sponsored, you know where to go. That's right. That's right. And uh, before we head out, Nick, I just yep. have uh, all this talks kind of got me in the romantic mood. And sure. If you had to give a, a Valentine out to a member of Congress, where would that go? Well, I've thought long and hard about this. Um, That's interesting because I just came up with a question right now. Well, I, I think about it every day. Oh, sure. Is this how you fall asleep at night right. instead of counting sheep? <laughs> I just imagine handing a, a little delightful Valentine. As someone who did not receive many, let me stipulate, you know, if I were to be presented with this opportunity, who would I give a Valentine to? I think the answer is very obvious. Okay. This is someone uh, who's, who's, a, a distinguished young member of the House of Representatives, a rising star in her party, and the name really says it all. I would give my Valentine to none other than the representative of the Fourth District of Utah, Mia Love. Wow, wow, Beat incredibly that. heartfelt. It would be so great. I, I, you know, maybe we'll have the chance to meet Representative Love at some point. I'm sure she has an extra special uh, Valentine's Day. Probably some fun traditions in the Love family, I would imagine. And are we talking a foil Valentine? Are you thinking flowers? What uh, What are you getting? No, no, no. I, I listen. I don't, I don't want to be too overzealous. You know, if she if she were my representative, maybe I'd feel more entitled to to drop a couple dollars. But at this point, you know, one of those little meaningful sweethearts candies with a a fun message. I think will be the extent of my Valentine. So, uh, Brendan, let me turn the question back on you. If you had one, but one Valentine to give a member of Congress, who uh, who would that who that representative be? I hate to be frugal, but I would like some bang for my Valentine buck. Okay, I would like my Valentine to uh, to really stretch far, and in that vein, I would like to give my Valentine 
to the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan himself. Wow. I think Paul Ryan has been under a lot of stress lately. He just achieved one of his life goals. Yep. A major uh, tax bill. Uh, tax reform. Um, and he's facing some serious pressure in Wisconsin. And, and um, the Cook Partisan Voting Index just uh, changed his district from a likely conservative to lean conservative. Right. And so I think he's having a tough go of it at the moment. And I would just think that Congress runs better, our country runs better, if the Speaker of the House is in a good mood. So I just want to send over a little a little Hershey's striped kiss. One of the just one, but a single Hershey's striped kiss. Wow, no envelope, okay. just in the mail. Sure, they'll know. <laughs> so I guess I'm just gonna go outside and find my local postman. I'm just gonna hand him Hershey kisses until um, Paul Ryan writes back to me personally. Unfortunately, we can't air this episode now because when we do, you will be tracked down by the authorities <laughs> and put in prison. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Okay. So listen, that'll that'll do it for this episode of House Cats. You know, sending you out on a, a very loving note uh, this time around. And if you want to send any love our way or questions, concerns, anything therein, go ahead and reach out to us at our Gmail, housecatspod at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Nick. I'm Brendan. Meow. <laughs> <laughs>